You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. It's all good here in central Illinois at the moment, and uh, I hope that you all remain safe and healthy. And here we go with another midweek episode, because once again, I will be out and about this weekend. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks say that May is the month for finding amphibians and reptiles, uh, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere. But uh, I have to say that I am nearly as busy in October as I am in May, and uh, I think I see herps in comparable numbers. So uh, so I have a big block of away time coming up in mid-October, uh, as I will. And, and so that means I'll be working uh, on new episodes as I can. And as always, I will be bringing my mobile recording rig on my journeys in order to talk with people, uh, because those opportunities are too good to pass up. And I'm looking forward to some long hikes on warm October afternoons and uh, some cool nights around a campfire. And I'm also looking forward to seeing some old friends and maybe making some new ones along the way. Now, before we get to the episode, I want to take a minute to thank all of the show's patrons. Uh, as you know, entertainment channels of all shapes and sizes need some assistance to keep things rolling along. And if you're out there listening and you would like to kick in a few bucks, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so much and so much pingle is all one word. And you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Uh, just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details on that. Uh, so this week's show features another one of those rambling around the room discussions that I occasionally capture. And this one was recorded this past June in Mexico City. Uh, well, to be more precise, in a hotel next to the airport in Mexico City. And I had to do some fancy filtering to remove uh, most of the sounds of the you know, jet engines taking off and landing. And so this is at the tail end of a herping adventure uh, in Puebla and Veracruz, uh, mostly Veracruz, and about half of our group had already flown home and the rest of us were waiting our turns. It was a long trip, uh, two full weeks plus travel days, and everyone was uh, very tired by the time I turned on the recorder. It was a very physical trip. Uh, we did a lot of hiking in the mountains uh, nearly every day, I think. And uh, it felt, for me, it felt like walking uphill both ways a lot of the times. And uh, so there, and there wasn't much road cruising either. Uh, although Matt and I did get out one night and uh, we road cruised in a taxi cab, uh, which was a first for me. And it was totally worth it because we uh, cruised up this awesome jumping viper uh, way up in the hills near the town of Tequila. So there's that. Uh, so folks were worn out and there's some coughing and sniffing and uh, a lot of voices down in the lower than normal register on the recording, uh, except for Mac, of course, he's always rocking that sexy baritone. So you can tell from the show's opening minutes that the energy level in the room was lower than low. Uh, but as the discussion progressed, you can kind of hear folks getting a little more animated about this subject material and their brains, you know, started to get fully engaged, uh, and it just proves that many of us are never too tired to talk about rattlesnakes. Synchronize your watches. Let's see if we can get the energy level in the room. It's only a bottle. bottle <laughs>
Well, we we have no bottles, and Andy's shaking his head no. So, bottle of water. That's what I got right now. All right. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Get your voice cleared. <clears throat> All right. That's the mantra of the group right now. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll edit this. Maybe I won't. <laughs> okay, well, here we are once again, washed up at the end of a trip. We're in an airport hotel on the last day. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be uh, sort of a down day, but the weather over our planned mountain was terrible and rainy and cold and so none of the uh, none of the sacred rattlesnakes that we were interested in seeing were going to be out today so instead uh we're close to the airport in this hotel and everybody's sort of in a very low energy mo- mode uh looking around the room here and these folks are kind of kind of on the lowest battery level i've seen in a while but it's been a long trip and uh, I just got done talking to our buddy over here, Max, uh, as for a, a separate show. And so that was that was nice energy level there. And I don't think I'm going to get this one up to the same thing, but we'll see what we can do. But <clears throat> what I what I wanted to uh, one of the things that happened on this this trip to Mexico when we were here uh, wandering around, uh, the States of Puebla and, uh, Veracruz and, uh, maybe we went somewhere else, but I don't remember. But one of the things we were trying to do was, uh, see some of the local rattlesnakes and, uh, we managed to accomplish that. And, uh, so I thought, uh, it'd be kind of fun to, to, uh, once again, talk to, uh, some of, uh, folks who've been on the podcast uh, a number of times before. Uh, and, uh, Max is now a veteran since he's got one show, uh, in the can, so to speak. Uh, and then, uh, we won't be talking to Pat cause Pat's in the can, in the can. <laughs> and, uh, maybe Armin will come over in a little bit, but, uh, anyway, I, I, I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about rattlesnakes a little bit. Um, uh, it seems like there isn't, when I'm on these, uh, when I'm out herping with folks, there isn't a day that passes when there's, we don't talk about rattlesnakes. It's a popular topic, and I thought it would be interesting to get some perspectives here from some of the folks that are sort of slouching around this room, <clears throat> and uh, maybe I can bring them up and, and get them to uh, raise their energy up here a little bit, and maybe make eye contact with me. <laughs> oh, good. Armin's here. Speaking of rattlesnakes. Come on in. Hi there. What do you have, snake bags? Okay. Yeah. That's very kind. Cool. Clean uh, snake bags. Wow. I'm going to warn you, there's a, there's a hot mic. Josh's. Josh. 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 No, it says cage on it. it that, that means it belongs to Matt Cage. It's, it, it also is a cage, but it belongs to Matt Cage. So it's very confusing. So I understand. Yeah. Well, hi, Armin. Come in and have a seat. And we're just kicking this off. Uh, we're going to have a little discussion about rattlesnakes. And uh, since you're late, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you first. I'm going to cut you a break here. And I'm just going to talk about rattlesnakes in general. And I'm going to I'm going to lean this in in a certain direction. But uh, uh, I'm going to hand the microphone over here to Mac. And uh, 
before we get into this too far, uh, one of the things that happened on this trip is that we got stuck uh, for a few days looking for a specific rattlesnake. And it took a lot of work and a lot of eyeballs and a lot of walking, a lot of hiking uh, through uh, vast fields of wait-a-minute bushes and cacti and whatnot, hot and sweaty, and uh, there's much cursing and uh, wailing as we didn't think we'd ever get this silly rattlesnake. Uh, but in, at the very end, uh, zero hour, 11th, uh, zero day, or what do you call it? Last minute of the last day, uh, uh, Mac man- managed to find one. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that rattlesnake so we can just sort of get the stories flowing here. Well, I uh, was put on a road. The group of us were put on a road. We split up and did all separate roads, and some of us went road cruising, and some of us went to new roads. Some of us went to old roads. Um, I went to a new road that uh, our guide, Miguel, had found a dead cordless on, and uh, it had been cut with a machete, but I found a trail along the backside of that that bordered a fence line, walked the trail, and uh, didn't see it. And after hours of searching, we came back, and I decided to take uh, uh, one of my fellow herpers, John Burris, and I went, took the trail on the way back and looked way back into the rainforest there and seen a nice, bright, glowing eye with a yellow banana head looking right at us, and it was the target species. Which is? The Simus Macluta Cantley. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) Okay. uh, Max, may have to chime in on that. Max, give us the correct pronunciation of this rattlesnake's name. Crotalus mictlantecuitli. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Mictlant, Mictlantecuitli. Uh, formerly Crotalus simus, but now Mictlantecuitli. Well yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I say that better after a few beers. Right. So, um, so yeah. So, it was like a big whoop, whoopy so moment, big, right? Big elation. I mean, it was a tough. It was a tough task just to even get the snake into possession because we had to go through a lot of vines, and so the whole thing was pretty epic, you know. And this thing is a bright. It's it's in the neo. Uh, the what do we call those the neotropical rattlesnake group. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, it's um, got that diamond shaped body pattern with a heavy keeled dragon scales. I call it. <laughs> and that striped neck and, and the striped neck and. Um, the diamonds cross the, the back third of its body. A lot of yellow, very bright yeah. looking rattlesnake. And I think in former days it would have, it used to be Crotalus simus in this area. It was sort of lumped into them. Before that, they were probably all lumped into Crotalus durissus at some point. Right. Uh, so the, the neo, neotropical rattlesnake group. So um, fantastic looking animal. Yeah, it was a heck of a find. And it's those moments in life that you, when they happen, you take them in as much as you can. Very good. Because you don't know when the next one's going to happen. I yeah, I don't I don't know. So uh, as far as the trip goes, um, we found uh, all of the rattlesnakes we were looking for, but one we did not find. The we were looking for Crotalus transversus, and that one escaped us. So right. there's always something else to look forward to. Cool. So why don't you hand it over to Brian there for a second? Hello. So hey Brian, uh, so Brian Hughes is on the other microphone, and I. I you may remember back in the first few uh, episodes of the show, I had Brian on talked about his work uh, with rattlesnakes and rattlesnake solutions in Arizona and all the interesting research he was doing. Um, and uh, at some point during the conversation, 
Brian, you mentioned uh, another rattlesnake that uh, we saw in this trip, a Crotalus uh, salvani, or salvani, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had talked about how once you saw that the green eye of the salvani, um, it, it just kind of torqued your switches on all levels, right? Uh, that yeah, was... it's, a di- it's a different animal. And I, I think the couple of us that had seen them before have been telling all of you guys, our friends, like, wait till you see this thing. So it's fun seeing everyone look at this thing. Oh yeah, that's not a Mojave. (laughs) Yeah, just watching everyone have that same reaction. And and so and so this thing, you know, I mean, it's made such an impact on you. You've you've even got ink on your arm, honoring this. this Well, that was also my first Mexico trip. So there's a lot of stuff that's wrapped up in that. I do have one tattoo. It was just, it was uh, leaving my. I live in Phoenix, so you know there's lots of stuff to look at there, rattlesnake wise. But it was just it was a big moment for me. It was my first trip to Mexico to look for rattlesnakes, and on that trip was this 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 thing that to me symbolized like wow, you you gotta leave the house more, buddy. You know, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of cool stuff out there. So it was it's an amazing snake. And and this uh, we're talking about crotalus. Uh, it, it is uh, considered to be a black tail scutulatus. Or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very tired here. Uh, so it's Crotalus scutulatus salvani or salvani, but it's probably not uh, it's, a Mojave. Maybe it's behavior and physiology are, you know, I, I'm I'm not an expert in that, but they they do different things than I have seen that would warrant a you know a subspecies placeholder. You okay. know, being able to articulate ribs to flatten out a body and uh, gape a mouth and other things like that. Um, that seem pretty different and there's lots of things that i've seen that are are you know long considered fully separate species that don't have such dramatic differences in behavior yeah so we saw some of that uh behavior where they open their mouth Mm -hmm. we're trying to take pictures of them and they open their mouth and they start crawling with their mouth open yeah Uh, which you don't you know where i where i live with timber rattlesnakes and things like that you don't that's not something i've seen before yeah and they also have the ability to inflate their their neck is that Mm -hmm. correct so yeah, it's it's in, I mean those are it's not a it's not a, a pattern class that you're looking at. You're looking at an animal that does different things, lives in different a different area. I, I'm interested to see what happens if someone picks that up and really examines, you know, this this animal that's been put as hey, this is a Mojave. And if you look at that more, that I think that would be really interesting. Plus there's the green eye. Oh yeah. There's <laughs> those emerald eyes and pink undertones in the face and the, the high contrast. And we saw, we saw a good variety. You know, how many do we see like in, in a relatively short amount of eight time, or nine, like eight or nine. So where they're at, they're, they're dominant and they're, they're everywhere. I think the first one that we saw was like 30 feet from the car while everyone is still getting their boots out of the back, you know, it's so they're, they are a, a presence where they're at uh, and to have an animal that, that is that charismatic, um, and pretty and to be be the dominant snake in the area is just cool yeah and uh, when we talk about green eye i mean we're not talking about a greenish tint or god help us mojave green yeah <laughs> but we're talking about something that looks like an emerald almost it just you know it reflects back green from the sun or your flash it's just a, all of us are going to yeah be jay very good of, uh, he was that he's uh in saturation <laughs> boosting when we get back and post every single one of us is gonna yeah. go through that on instagram of like we'll post the one without the filter like oh, yeah this is it <laughs> it's a it's a cool snake yeah very very interesting snake and you know i have to think 
the 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 next spread. I don't know about the gaping, but the next spreading thing puts me in mind of uh, Bushmasters. Bushmasters do that, right? Mm-hmm. So so I'm wondering if that's uh, you know a really old trait that that animal has retained. And I've seen other um, animals. Uh, larger snakes from Mexico do that as well. You know, I have a, a basiliscus that, that was does surrendered to us that does that. And he's a, you know, he's a character, but it, so it could be, it could be a region. I don't know what, what that is, but it's, it, uh, you know, I, it, back home, I see a lot of Mojaves and they don't do that. They don't, they don't do anything like that. They don't neck inflate and they don't gape. Right. Right. They crawl around with their mouths open. They're still cool, but you know, you can get some green eyes and then we'll, they're not crawl around with cool. your mouth open, green eyed. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, great. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to pass it over. We're going to kind of skip around, bounce around. There it is, right in front of you, John. Welcome Hello, back Mike. to the show, John. John Burris, everyone. Thank you. Um, so, uh, what your what are your thoughts? And you don't have to talk about Mexican rattlesnakes. Um, you know, I'm just sort of interested in your perspective on any rattlesnake. Maybe you can talk about uh, one from the trip or. Whatever it is that that just um, gets your motor running and you know gets you up in the morning. Well, I'd say one of my favorite field herping experiences is probably what you described with Mac, and just having that opportunity to be with him when he saw that snake. Mac's a pretty humble person, and uh, you know we spent three hard days with some of the best field herpers in the world looking for this snake, and came down to the last day, like you said. Um, Mac was probably five steps in front of me, and just with a shaking voice, he's like, oh my God, I've got one. And, and there may or may not have been an expletive in there, <laughs> but his light was shining, and, and he showed me this, and this snake was probably 15 to 20 yards off the trail, through the jungle, you know, leaf litter, vines, everything else, and somehow he was able to get that little catch of eye shine, and... uh so then we, you know, noticed that and then said, how are we going to get to this thing? Um, everybody and, and, wanted to see this snake. And this is the Crotalus Miklan Tecutli. Yes, that one. Hi, Pat. <laughs> exactly. Hi. Welcome. So we devised a plan. Uh, Max started, you know, took a couple steps over the barbed wire fence. And that snake immediately switched its attention and looked at him with just a quick movement. And uh, so I said, he, you know, the snake's on to us. Uh, Max stopped and he's like, well, let me get a quick cell phone picture just in case it got away from us. Safety shot. Exactly. And uh, then he directed me. He's like, well, you go around to the right of me. We'll try to get on both sides. And, you know, it seemed like 15 minutes of us creeping, breaking vines, trying to get close to the snake. And we were finally able to get close to it. And uh, somehow corralled it in a very safe manner uh, and got to bring it back for everybody to see like we, you know, the goal was of the trip. So just a wonderful experience. We were both shaking, uh, both excited. And that's really what all this is all about is that excitement that when you see that thing that you've wanted to see for so many years, uh, and that could be this snake or any rattlesnake. You know, I remember being in this hobby for many years, wanting to see a rattlesnake because of the it's a fable part of our country, you know, don't tread on me. Right. And trying yeah. to see that timber rattlesnake. So just great snakes. Yeah. You know, you and I found a nice timber rattlesnake last summer, uh, with our, our buddy, Greg Stevens and, 
I can remember if somebody else was with us, but uh, we got a nice timber rattlesnake crossing the road. Yeah, we try to get together each year in Indiana and have a couple good locations. And I remember that day, uh, I was actually driving and in my own state took a wrong turn down the wrong road. And <laughs> there was a beautiful timber rattlesnake there. So sometimes that's how it works out. Serendipity. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, thank you uh, for, number one, shining the light on Mac a little bit because, you know, Mac's in a, got an incredible eye. Uh, and, you know, we don't, we don't like, we don't want him to have a big head or anything over it. But uh, it was an amazing, amazing job, uh, Mac. So well, well done on that. And uh, I also want to point out that you're, you're a little bit of an extra baritone today. Have you got a little bit of a, <laughs> a throat tickle or something going on there? Yeah, I, I like think, these uh, sexy dulcet tones I'm hearing from you. Uh, we did have a virus go through the group. Thankfully, oh it was not the virus. Uh, we've all, most of us have been tested now, and we're clear of that so we can fly back home to the U.S. Most of us lived. <clears throat> but yes, it's uh, it's been a trying experience. A long <laughs> trip, you're going to run into some bumps, and I think it went through most of us. Mac might have been the only one to not get it. <laughs> oh. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, well. Well, you just got to keep pushing on, right? That's right. Just again, part of a big trip and you use a lot of energy on these trips. We climbed a lot of hills and mountains and high altitude and learned some things about our own health. Yeah. And uh, as Pat and I had discussed, you know, the amount of oxygen at 10,000 feet is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the same proportion, but there's just a lot less of it up there. Yeah, I so. think you call us the flat earthers or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we live down near sea level, and uh, and then some of the guys we're herping with, you know, they're from Denver or some other place where there's some altitude, and they're like la di da di da. We're you know having a hard time. We don't have a five thousand foot handicap, you know, like they do. So, well, thank you again, John. Appreciate that, and um, pass us over to the next handy person. Armin, Armin Meyer, how are you? Good. Hello. And uh, here you are at the end of uh, another Mexico trip, and uh, the topic today is rattlesnakes. So, what's on your mind? Milk snakes. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to do the whole lamps versus croats thing? <laughs> no, we're not. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of enthusiasm for both. Okay. Equal time for both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there was there a rattlesnake on this trip that just uh, you know flipped your lid or the McClanticlutely? Absolutely. Okay. Right. And, and the and the ravis that that Matt found was wow. What an incredible looking snake. That now that I I still think maybe that's my favorite snake because it was just so such a handsome animal. And we're talking about Crotalus ravis or Crotalus ravis, if you will. Yeah. And the Salvini, I can't even, it's hard to, it's hard to just, you know, grab one right. permanently out of that. I think about the, the Ravis though, because it was, for years, it was considered to be uh, one of the shield head rattlesnakes in, in the genus Cisturus. And because it had, you know, it's got plates on its head, it was, instead of small scales, it was just kind of, and it has a small rattle. So it gets lumped in with those, uh, with our Massasaugas and our pygmy rattlesnakes, but it's, it's not really the same animal. Um, but it is, uh, I would guess, what we would call a primitive rattlesnake. Uh, it's, you know, uh, probably closer to the original rattlesnake form. I don't know enough about this topic. But somewhere in the genes, there's the original rattlesnake form, the, the thing that first produced a rattle. And I think maybe 
Crotalus ravis is maybe the closest rattlesnake to that ancient form I, that that we have today. I don't know. That's kind of a big mystery, but uh, possibly, yeah. Very colorful, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I see a lot of uh, uh, really pretty cane breaks in Louisiana, and when I saw that snake, it just reminded me how wow, that just pops like a beautiful cane break. It's just got the yellows and and uh, just all the all the right color. Yeah, yeah, and I I have to agree with you. It's it's got the nice contrasty color patterns that when it's in leaves or it's in, you know, it's native environment. It probably blends in pretty well like cane breaks do like in leaf litter, right? Sure. Uh, not so sure there was so much leaf litter where the ravis was, but, uh, it, you know, they all have their, their own way of blending in. Yeah. So it, in, in a lot of ways too, the, the cane breaks, when I go hiking for them, it, even though they have a breakup pattern, they blend in really poorly in the leaves they're sitting in much of the time. Cause they're, they're so much brighter than just the leaves themselves often. And, and I don't know, that could be due to uh mating colors or something like that, that they're, they're okay. their appearance is, is a little brighter than normal, brighter than normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having had the experience of hiking up cane breaks with you in the past. And uh, I, I remember looking over in this, and it, and it really was, it was, it was a small adult cane break and it was just like it had an internal light or something. It was just glowing <laughs> in the forest. And, uh, yeah. you know, once you get that search image and you, you know, the next one is a little easier to spot, you know? Yeah. Kind of like Max Simus, he said he could see that banana head, you know, in the leaf litter, you know? yellow color kind of popping out from right. the browns and, and we're, we're interchanging simus with mcclan tecutli yes yes it's yeah. just a lot easier for me to say <laughs> yeah. well you know i like it better when max says it, it sounds it sounds uh more special <laughs> <laughs> maybe more accurate <laughs> yeah <laughs> that for sure yeah well very good and uh uh Cane breaks are really your go-to rattlesnake where, where you're from, Louisiana. Yeah, they're uh, they're easy for me, and where diamondbacks, I, I would go for diamondbacks more often. But they're they're a little more difficult. It's more of a drive. So, and I have the property that has the cane breaks. I'm I'm surrounded by them, so that's what I like to look for. And you might as well enjoy them. I mean, sure. what's not yeah. to enjoy? Yeah, I can't quit enjoying those. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up EDBs because I if. Could you pass the microphone over to Mr. Pat Cade? <clears throat> so uh, EDBs came up in Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnakes. And, and Pat, in, in your past, you did some some uh, survey work yes. for Eastern Diamondbacks. You want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I did telemetry on uh, 10 individuals, and I tracked them for anywhere from 6 to 18 months in uh, Hattiesburg, or just south of Hattiesburg in the DeSoto National Forest. Got a lot of uh, natural history observations of them. So I would ch track them, you know, three, four times a week and sometimes multiple times during the day. I took a lot of thermal data off of them because the transmitters were temperature sensitive. Okay. So inter interesting things learned there. So tell us a little bit about what you might have learned from that experience. Well, those guys act a little different than a lot of other rattlesnakes in that they... They don't use cover a whole lot. So 
they're they're out all the time, day and night. Um, if as long as the temperature's right, um, and even during the winter when it's cold, um, they come out a lot of times that you expect things to snakes to be down. So basically, half of their time they're on a decent sunny day they'll pop up to, to just in little shallow burrows, and it doesn't really seem to matter what they use. Um, mostly mammal burrows, so they had go towards holes, which is typically what I was always told was what they would prefer but at least in that area they didn't seem to use gopher tourist burrows anymore in fact less than what they used a mammal burrow okay and do they park do they spend a lot of time parked under bushes and things like that and sure yeah so they uh, and interesting because a lot of times they wouldn't hardly move at all you know for for days on end and so you would go look at them and, and i would see them and they would just make little tiny shifts in where they were sitting to change their thermal regulation. So, and, and they were typically in some sort of uh, dappled sunlight. And would you, there would be in like an ambush mode, you know, they're just, they're ready to yep. get whatever's coming across uh, in front of them, so on and so forth. Yep. They, they, and that's basically what they do. They'd spend their time sitting in the same spot. And then I, I never could figure out why they would move. It wasn't like a time thing, but then they would make a, Anywhere from 50 to 300-yard move, go someplace else and just sit there. It's kind of the same pattern. So it's kind of a random? As far as I could tell. Maybe they were just trying to make something happen, right? Interesting. Did you see any juveniles during all that work? Uh, I caught a few juveniles, and I had three adult females that gave birth, and I caught most of those babies as well. Um, but typically, we didn't see a whole lot of juveniles. Just they're, they're, They just blend in so well. Um, they're, they're hard to find, <laughs> especially where I'm at. You know, even a, a six-foot snake can be at your feet, and you just can't see it because they blend in so well. And the babies are extremely hard to find. So it, the, only, the only babies I found were crossing the road. I see. And so when you're radio tracking these things, to you know, when they move and you – track them to a new location sometimes you're surprised when you're right on top of them is that yeah the yeah. case i've i've had a i've had a couple of spots that um in fact one time the biggest animal i had which was uh was a 155 centimeter snout vent which is a big animal and typically when you go to a new spot i would you know i, I never want to disturb them so i want to see them from as far away as i could and just kind of note you know what conditions they were sitting in and you know what the temperature was and that sort of stuff. But so I would triangulate on them. So I'd get kind of close to them. Then I'd go from a different direction. So I'd kind of know where it was before I get in. So I didn't spook them. I see. And I was trying to find this one animal and I kept inching forward from three different directions. And I finally got to a point where I'm, I'm standing here for like two minutes, just looking down at my feet. And I'm like, it's under, it's underground. It's got to be. And I was just about to walk off, and this thing just stands up. And it was literally a foot from my right in front of me. And it was just thing just stands up right in front of me, like crotch level. Uh-oh. <laughs> and Uh-oh. I, yeah, so like a defensive. I It, it scared me, yeah, because yeah. uh, I, I, I mean, it, it could have bit me at any time. Well, gator, gators only go up so far, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and we're not talking alligators. I, I we're like talking snake gators. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, I was amazed that that thing was – and it wasn't in, in, like, real heavy cover or anything. It was just um, a couple little ferns and uh, long stem or blue stem grass that you'd find in a longleaf pine forest. So it was – I could see the ground. 
and I just couldn't see it. It was wow. amazing. And and you've had you know some degree of experience already with them and seeing them and spotting them. So that's that's kind of amazing. Yeah, I, I'd probably been following that that animal for about four months. Wow. So I'd seen it a bunch. Did you were there surprises where they turned up? Do you, were there some animals that did weird weird uh, patterns of movement or? Not really surprising. Uh, what surprised me was them being up, you know, all months during the year. Oh, really? Okay. Um, you know, it, it'd be January. And you get a warm day and, you know, half of them would be out, out on the ground. I see. Um, so that, that was kind of surprising. But I did have one animal that went out into what we had was a, um, an impact area. The Army used the, this area and they shoot their tanks and, you know, the, the howitzers and stuff into this area. And one of my snakes went out into that area and of course I couldn't go see what it was doing but I could tell kind of where it was and it was right at the edge of what I could pick it up at so they're shooting bombs and stuff and it stayed in there for a couple of months and it just didn't seem to bother it wow and it and it stayed in that area for a couple of months and then moved back out to where I could pick it back up you know where I could go get close enough to see it because that that area is off limits because you know that's where they shoot holy cow so you've got tanks running through there and and well, nothing, nothing drives in there. Oh, right? it's just so that, uh, that's they where shoot, they shoot the tanks into that area. So the whole thing is is boxed off. Oh, that's where the shells land. It's like a five kilometer. Yes, it's called the impact zone. So it's like a five kilometer area that no one goes in because you know some of the some of the rounds that they shoot in there don't go off, and so you don't want to come across an unexploded round because it could be live. But an animal went up in there and spent time when they were shooting, like no no big deal. No, I, that surprised me. Because wow. even where I was standing, when they would shoot in there, you could the ground would shake. You know, you could feel it. And that animal was another, you know, thousand yards up inside of there, like nothing. Holy cow! Well, moving forward to today, um, uh, you know, this has been we found some rattlesnakes on this trip. Is there something that stands out in your your mind? Oh um, yeah, trip? I well, I really like the the rabbits. That was uh, those were really neat animals, and of course, the sinus was very impressive. I think I'm going to have to post some pictures of some of these animals when the show hits so folks under, understand what it is we're talking about. Yeah, I was, kind of wish we'd have found a few more at the end, but one was that one was very impressive. So The, the one we found, what did somebody called it? The banana. The banana. Because it was so yellow. Yeah. Amazingly colored rattlesnakes. Well, thanks, Pat. I appreciate that. <clears throat> and I always like hearing about EDBs because they're one of my favorites um, still, even though I've I've seen some other cool forms it now uh, but uh it also reminds me of um you're talking about radio tracking these things and not seeing them and i i back in the day I, I got to do a little bit of participate in some of that and help out a little bit and uh i was with uh my buddy don becker and we were tracking a big female rattlesnake this is in indiana you know we had the radio box and the antenna and we're trying to figure out where this thing is and it's very steep uh forest and it's all ravines and we're we're getting bounce what we call ravine bounce from the mm. from the transmitter, which is confusing us as to where the right. snake was. So we uh, had a hard time finding it. And at one point, we were crawling up out of a, of a ravine, and um, insert we think it's at the top of the ravine. So it's so steep, we're crawling on our hands and knees, Don and I. And we crawl up the ravine and we get to the top, and uh, then the signal's coming back from the way we came. So we turn around and come back down and halfway down the ravine, the, the female rattlesnake is coiled up next, right next to where Don and I 
crawled, we're crawling, you know, hands and knees. And uh, we crawled right by it within two feet of it. It never moved. We never saw it. Nothing. You know, it's just amazing how when, if they hold still and, and they're in their element, a lot of times they're, they're difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times you can get relatively close to them um, without spooking them. Well, at least the Diamondbacks that I worked on. But so I could get within, you know, easily within 10 feet, but sometimes within five feet, multiple times a day or, you know, because sometimes I did that. I would go out and I would like every hour go look at it and see what it's doing. And those I would try to stay as far away as I could. But some of them you just have to get up a little closer because the vegetation is so thick. So you got to get close to them so you could actually see what they're doing. Right. And they would they would not move as long as I didn't bump them. And they would stay there. And they may stay there for a week or, or more. I see. Very good. Thank you so much. Can you pass that over to our buddy Andy here? How are you today, Andy? I'm doing okay. Are you ready to go Low home? energy, but yeah, it's a long two weeks. Yeah. I don't think, I can't think of another herping trip we've ever done with so much physical exertion. Multiple times where we did a four or 5,000 foot elevation change in a single day. A lot of hiking, very little road cruising. This was a very foot heavy trip. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, so, uh, as, as far as rattlesnakes concerned, uh, you have a favor from this trip and, or, or do you, maybe you just have something else you want to talk about? You know, picking one is really hard on this trip because I have favorites for different reasons. Um, the intermediate stands out because of where we found it and seeing Tim's reaction to it because he had tried very, very hard. Him and Brian had put in a lot of work looking for that snake previously. Okay, so we're talking about Crotalus intermedius, which is uh, the, the common name would be the Mexican, Mexican small-headed small -headed rattlesnake. And okay. it showed up in a place that nobody here expected. It sounds like it may be a locality record, but we're not sure yet, right? Yeah, it could be. I, we'll need to, to check that we'll out. We'll need to check. Yeah. Uh, so that one stands out. Um <clears throat> Obviously, Mitklanta Klutli stands out uh, because of the effort we put in and Mac turning it up at the last minute. Uh, the joke he played on me when we were picking him up, um, pretending to be injured so that I would get to him faster. <laughs> yeah, uh, so quick backstory on that. Mac and I, he's, I consider him one of my best friends. I've known him now for like, almost 15 years. A, he was in my wedding. Um, we've never kidded about like, hey, come get me, I'm hurt. Or I broke this thing, come find me. Like we just, it's not a, a thing that some herpers do to each other and they're used to it, but we drove right past him and uh, I get a text message from him and we've been using WhatsApp this whole trip. And I get a text message from him that says, wait, come back, I broke my leg. But it was really incoherent too. So it was like, realistic because i'm like when you're hurt you wouldn't like correct your grammar so it was all broken up and i slammed on the brakes and i'm like go get my friend he's hurt and everyone's like what and i'm like mac broke his leg get out of the van <laughs> and then i parked because there was um, some police looking at me very weirdly because i parked i stopped short of the parking lot entrance to a shopping mall so i parked the van and as i'm parking the van i hear all this yelling and screaming and i can't tell if it's 
my group of guys or another group of people, if it's happy, sad, scared, angry, and I turn around the corner expecting people to be literally carrying him, and he's at the front of the group with a snake bag hanging off a snake hook. <laughs> and I, everyone else was happy. It took me a couple of minutes to get over the, like, the scared and the anger and the adrenaline to come around to like, okay, we found the snake and it's great, but don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> or do it more often so I can kind of be like, yeah, yeah, right. Um, so that stands out. Oaxaca stands out for me because it was my last uh, subspecies of the blacktail group. This is Crotalus molossus Oaxacus. Oaxacus, yeah. Um, the Salvini are insane. After hearing about when Brian and Tim found them a couple years ago, I was like, I can't wait to see that snake. A snake that gapes like a moccasin or an echistodon and inflates its neck and compresses it like a lachesis or something else. It was like, okay, that, that's a snake I need to see. And we found a few, so it's hard to pick. The ravis was yeah. really pretty. But uh, the thing about rattlesnakes for me is I grew up in a place where there's only garter snakes. So I was raised on garter snakes and I love garter snakes. But the thing about natrocines is you can go to anywhere in the world they exist and pretty much know how to find them. One way or the other, you're looking for water, probably edge habitat with right. lots of amphibians and fish. Yeah. Um, and that's not to knock them as a group of snakes. I, like I said, I'm very fond of them. But rattlesnakes are not like that at all. So you grew up going, man, I want to go see one. I want to see one. There was, a, there was the danger factor when I was in my teens. Like, sure. I want to see a venomous snake. There's only one in our state, which is the Northern Pacific rattlesnake, Crotalus oregonus oregonus currently. Um, found one when I was in my early 20s. But I quickly got over that because, like, collectively in our group in this room, we've seen rattlesnakes from Canada to South America. Yes. From the west coasts of those countries to the east coasts of those countries, from below sea level to, I don't know what, how high we were, but 8, I think- 8,000 feet. eight 9,000 feet. Um, and they all act and do different, they all act differently and do different things. And we saw little primitive tiny rattles and big chunky fat rattles. And every single time I see a, a new subspecies or species, or even just a new individual is one I've seen a lot, I get more questions than answers. I have, I'm constantly thinking of new things that I want to know about these snakes. See, so. that's, that's the, the kind of thing you and I share. Cause I, I think about rattlesnakes a lot. And every time I see a picture of, of a specific type and I, you know, I get to thinking about why it behaves the way it does, or why does that thing have a green eye? Yeah. Or why doesn't that have much of a tail, a rattle, you know, uh, a rattle or something, you know, whatever it is, what's, how do these things, what are the relationships between the different forms? So. Those, yeah, those are things worth thinking about. Physiological things like why do why do the neotropical rattlesnakes seem to have eye shine, and a lot of other rattlesnakes don't? I, yeah, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the trip. I was like, hey, remember when we were photographing Zabcan in the Yucatan a couple years ago? It was tough to photograph with flash because they kept getting eye shine bounce back, and I've never had that with other crotalus. I want to talk about that for just a second because that was the first rattlesnake that I've ever had do what I call a lunge where, you know, most rat and, and, you know, we, we, we treat these things with respect and we, our goal is not to stir them up and make them do the classic rattlesnake pose and rattle at us and stuff and, and take, you know, we're, we're kind of all over that thing that, you know, 
when you're younger, that's the coolest thing ever, right? But we don't we don't need that. That's not part of the repertoire. But that thing was, uh, you know, kind of armed and dangerous. It was up and rattling and, and so forth. And uh, we're talking about Crotalus Zabcan. And, uh, and then it just kind of lunged at me. And uh, probably two-thirds of its body were in that lunge. It wasn't a strike. It was something different where it just kind of launched its body at me, which... It was very surprising. Yeah. Um, it didn't, wasn't told terribly close to me, but at the same time, it was an unexpected move and uh, got my attention. Yeah. So the the whole the whole genus is, uh, the whole group of, of snakes is just, you just never know. Right. Uh, and as far as um, just also for, I touched on this for a minute, but maybe you can touch and talk about it too, but is when you're young, it's an exciting thing to see a rattlesnake rattle. It's an exciting thing to see them post up in their, defensive posture and and uh to me as we as time passes and and you start thinking about them and looking at them from another angle it's just cooler now to see them somewhere 10 feet away or whatever and and watch them do what they do and our our buddy brian here has always been a a big advocate of hey don't don't rush up to them hang back see what they do see where they go yeah Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember my very first rattlesnake and I was disappointed that it didn't rattle until I really messed with it. Um, our Washington state Norpacks are pretty calm for the most part. You don't get snakes rattling at you from 20 feet away. Like you do with some other species. You usually have to be right on top of them, surprise them or handle them. And so I remember I was like 20, 21, poking it with my snakes. Look, like, come on, rattle. And now it's the opposite. Like, I was very happy when we did our first photo shoot with uh, McClanta Cootley that it just coiled up and almost, you know, it was like a re- recreated ex situ. Okay, this is kind of what it was like when you saw it. Let's take some photographs. But by the end of the photo shoot, it was standing up with half of its body off the ground in a straight line. It didn't do the classic S. It was like just straight up with its head down. And there was a part of me that was like, okay, like I see it enough. Like, let's put that, let's put a cover over it again and get it to like lay down and calm down. It's right. But it also may be that's something we see with the Dorisus group really. Yes. They're quick to come up and, and, and get on their hind legs, so to speak. I get way more excitement now out of spotting a rattlesnake coiled up in situ, you know, from 15 feet away than I do from a Western diamondback in an S position in the middle of the road. Yeah. They're still cool. It just doesn't do the same thing it did for me 20 years ago. You know, you don't, you, the idea that, you, you're thinking of the animal in, in a different way. It's no longer a, your puppet <laughs> performing for you. You know, you 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 know the idea that you need to get every shot of the rattlesnake should be it doing something dramatic. Sometimes it's just cool to see one crawling along a canyon wall or something. Right. You know? That's just as cool. Well, very good, Andy. Thank, Thank you, you so much, and uh, appreciate you. You look very tired, and so uh, I'm. I'm it's good to, to get get some uh, gab out of you. It's all about, about calories. <laughs> okay. Why don't you hand that over to Tim? Tim, uncoil yourself and... and uh... It's been a good trip. Um, one of the smoothest Mexico trips I've done in recent memory. The car's still in one piece and nobody's in the hospital, so we're winning. I have a real long love affair with rattlesnakes and crotalus in general. Um, I grew up in the Jersey Pine Barrens where 
rattlesnakes were as rare as hen's teeth. And uh, we were always warned about seeing them in the woods, but we never saw them. And in uh, July of 87, National Geographic published an, a beautiful article on timber rattlesnakes and their conservation in New York State. And that really lit my fire. And from then on, my purpose in life was to find a wild rattlesnake. And it took several years, and I eventually did find one once I got my driver's license. But um, that's, that's where the Crotalus journey started. And now it, it leads us to a hotel room in Mexico City. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would really love to photograph every subspecies of Crotalus that have been described. And we're working our way south through Mexico. Well, I'd say you've got a, a nice chunk of them, at least. Yeah, yeah. You and I had the privilege of uh, seeing uh, Crotalus dorissus terrificus earlier this year. That was as In far Paraguay. south. Paraguay. Paraguay. As far south as I've been so far. But uh, there's a few species that are still eluding us in uh, Latin America, but we're, we're knocking them off one by one. Yeah, I don't know if I'll get them all, but um, I certainly have seen enough now to... You'd never think of the rattlesnake as just this object. It's these group of animals that are extremely varied, uh, have all kinds of behaviors, all kinds of uh, strategies, the different strategies for for survival, for for food, for you know uh, anything, any aspect of natural history you can think of, and yet they all contain the same venom delivery package. You know that one thing they all have in common, and then that that thing on the end of the tail. With maybe one exception, or maybe a few exceptions that uh, some of the island forms that have lost their, their rattles. You know, I've recently become really interested in, um, and this owes a lot to my conversations with Brian, uh, but human uh, rattlesnake interaction, uh, especially with uh, some of the um, native cultures and, and some of the early settlers. But, um, you know, it's the Sari Indians in Sonora, some of the indigenous uh, people in this area, uh, they've got you know, stories and, and interactions with rattlesnakes that go back you know, millennia. And some of that stuff is super fascinating. Uh, it wasn't a crotalus, but we had a story on this trip about how the native people used the horned lizards to prepare their marital ritual. And I found that completely yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And if you, uh, when, when we get Max on the, uh, when Max's episode airs, people can, hear all about that. It's quite a story. Yeah. Yeah. Those, um, the way, um, indigenous people have interacted with reptiles is starting to really fascinate me. Also, uh, not to, not to be left out. For example, the, the peoples from the, you know, uh, Yucatan peninsula, you know, the Mayan, uh, Toltec, Olmec, Aztec, all those folks had their, you know, their serpent gods and, uh, their own relationship with the, the rattlesnake that lived there. It was Kalakmul and Kalakmul and um, the the other name was Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, Thank you, Max. <laughs> Quetzalcoatl. Yeah. Um, so that's all fascinating too. If you want to get into that, um, yeah. The, um, the rattlesnakes back home. Um, I've gotten enough of them now where I, I feel like I have to complete the set. I won't get all the rattlesnakes in the world, but I have a good shot. I have two left in the United States. And what, and, what do you need, Mike? Uh, I need uh, Crotalus pricey, which I've seen but never photographed, and I have to photograph it for it to exist in my life list type thing. And then I need the, the Desert Massasauga, which Brian tells me probably really isn't 
anything other than a Massasauga, but I, you know, I still want to find a desert Massasauga or what, what true desert Massasauga, whatever you want to call it. So I have a couple, but you've gotten all the rattlesnakes in the United States. And I think a lot of the people in this room have gotten all of them or are closing in on all of them. And I think that's, that's something that we share with, you know, herpers uh, everywhere. It's like, that's a common goal. Oh man, I could get, could I see all the rattlesnakes in the United States? Well, you sure can, son. Well, I've gotten by with a, a lot of help from my friends, <laughs> but it was one of the most uh, exciting journeys I've ever done in my life was to try to photograph all of the crotalus in the U.S. Uh, just so many adventures and so many friends along the way. And, um, you know, if you do it from a low impact standpoint and try not to, um, you know, we don't bag too many animals anymore. I'd like to shoot everything in situ if I can anymore. I'd rather shoot something unless it's going to get run over. I'd rather just shoot it and walk away. But, um, yeah, that's super fun. That's, that's a really enjoyable quest. And so many, so many folks have, you know, the iconic, it's either if you live out West, your, your first rattlesnake is in a diamondback or Southeast. It's the other diamondback or it's the timber or up in the Pacific Northwest. It's the, you know, the Oregonus. So there's, there's these iconic forms that kind of get people started. And then, uh, one thing leads to another and, and then you've got quite a list of rattlesnakes that you've seen. Which, of course, means you've had many adventures to get to that point. Oh, my. Yeah, sleeping in uh, abandoned oil wells in Texas and uh, <laughs> haunted forests in upstate New York and everywhere else. But, um, you know, herping is a journey, and it'll take you anywhere you want to go. Did you say haunted forest? True story. Haunted forest in upstate New York near a timber den. Um, it's kind of similar to, uh, what was that movie with the... Um, Blair Witch, what? similar to that situation. Really? Yeah. We'll, okay. we'll get into that when, in another when podcast. We, when we do the Weird and Strange show, yep, that's going to have to come up because yep. I want to hear about that's that. That's a real thing. Yeah, we, we've got to do a Weird and Strange show at some point. Okay, well, Andrew, we have not heard from you and Mr. Andrew Dubois. Thanks, Welcome Mike. Welcome back to the show. Hmm? What have you got to say? Well, rattlesnakes are... My favorite group of snakes I've had the privilege to observe or, or work with, there's a lot about them that endears them to a, a biologist or a resource manager. They're a, a winning design. They're pretty, pretty much throughout the Americas. Um, and they're a kind of a, they're an American snake in the true sense, right? They, they are Canada, um, United States, um, through Mexico, Central America, and into South America, nowhere else in the world. And while we've been talking about their diversity and what makes them cool, I think just the, the basic format of this is an animal that, um, makes its entire living by doing almost nothing most of the time. Um, and from the perspective of a biologist who's trying to find and document the distribution of these things, it's, it's nice to have an animal that'll just sit somewhere on the surface. Um, they're, they're a lot more convenient than some of the other snakes we work with. And from the perspective of trying to protect habitat, when you're looking at a, a landscape and trying to preserve the native species that occur there, and you're looking at it from the perspective of snakes, you might have a, a very diverse fauna, um, some more specialized than others, et cetera. But when you get into some of these, you know, Northern latitudes or, uh, high elevations, like we have in Colorado where I work, you have limiting resources where it's cold, um, hibernacula, um, where snakes gather in groups as opposed to individual stump holes or other situations in other part of the States. And these resources are easily 
you know, exploited if they're found or, or destroyed or disrupted. And you can wind up with a, a whole landscape being depleted of, of a population of snakes if you disrupt enough of their hibernacula. And one of the things that's convenient for me is uh, multiple species will use these same uh, hibernation sites and rattlesnakes just happen to be the most detectable snakes that occur at them. So um, I, I have a, a lot of love for rattlesnakes for, for being a kind of pilot species that are easy to find. Well, you know, one other thing, I always come back to timber rattlesnakes because I think I think a lot about the ice age, last ice age, and uh, which um, stopped about 30 miles north of one of my favorite places in southern Illinois, which is the Snake Road, right? The Shawnee National Forest. So the last ice age stopped there. And there was a huge ice wall, melted, retreated animals that had been pushed south, including the timber rattlesnake, started coming north again. And so we've had, we have timber rattlesnakes that have migrated north up every river valley as the ice retreated. They came to uh, other forms of flora and fauna as well. But it just strikes me that you know, you, folks that have timber rattlesnakes see, see them in Iowa. Those snakes have not been there a long time. Uh, there's small populations of timber rattlesnakes in Minnesota. They have not been there a long time. They just, you know, in terms of, you know, geological time, they just got there. And so the, the whole dynamic of timber rattlesnakes in the United States is just, to me, is this, this fluid, the story of fluid movement back and forth is, you know, between ice ages and things like that. And so there's, it's just a, a over, if you compress the time, it's a really a dynamic story uh, of, of movement. Uh, animals reclaiming territory that they uh, just by crawling up river valleys, you know, as farther north as the temperatures rose. Well, timbers were the first snake that had captured that imagination for me. I actually, I'm like a lot of guys, I, I always had a passing interest in snakes growing up, but they were my least favorite herps. They seemed boring to me when I was a kid relative to turtles or or salamanders or frogs that, that move more. And, you know, to, when I was five, you know, if I'd see a, a water snake and try to watch it for a while, it would just sit. And if I got too close, it would flail and, and dive in the water or I'd curl up and, and make n nasty smells and try to bite me. So I was less excited about them. And, you know, I grew up with a bunch of farmers in central Illinois in the great corn desert where you yourself are from. And, um, the prevailing wisdom was, you know, if it's a, if it's a black snake, it's a friend and all the other snakes are your enemies and you need to worry about them. And I never really bought into it that far, but I was nervous about them. And the first snake I tried to keep as a pet was a common garter snake that I naively, when oh, I was five years old, put in my outdoor cattle tank where I had four painted turtles and he, he lasted about 15 minutes before one of my painted turtles started shredding him apart. Oh. I thought they'd be friends. So I was always nervous about snakes. Um, I, it's both, hard to know who your real friends are. It is, yeah. Um, we all saw that day that Speedy the turtle was not the friend of the unnamed garter snake. So um, Speedy's real name was Chompy. <laughs> yeah, he didn't tell me that before I put him in there. But, um, but yeah, I, I think you know what clicked the switch for me was when I was preparing to move out to Colorado and my professional experience had been mostly with frogs, salamanders, and turtles within herptofauna. And I go to look at the regional guide for Colorado where I'm going to be moving and I see four turtles, 
six frogs and one salamander and I see 12 snakes and I say talking species or actual numbers species (laughs) although some people in Colorado might argue that's that's individuals too but uh but yeah I I saw that and I thought well I guess I'm I'm gonna be a snake guy now and uh while I was preparing for that I was making some pilgrimages down to southwestern Indiana and southern Illinois hoping to see you know, just whatever snakes I could, I could find and, and learn more about. And I was getting a little experience with them working for Indiana department of natural resources. And I was at garden of the gods in Southeast Illinois in May of 2015, when I saw my first rattlesnake and it had just been hit by a car. Um, and so it was still alive and pupils were reacting to light, et cetera, but it was not, not long for the world. And I, that was something about that just kind of captured my imagination. I was like, wow, vipers though. I mean, snakes are cool, but wow, isn't that something? And in Knox County where I grew up, we still have, you know, some snakes that have hung around in a mostly converted landscape, but, uh, the majority of, of our species, you know, they've been extirpated from a lot of their, their historic territory because of land conversion. And I never had an opportunity to see rattlesnakes growing up. And, and so that was, that was a big deal for me. And when I moved out to Colorado, one of the first excursions I took out with, with Tim actually shortly after I'd moved there and into February, we were trying to find prairie rattlesnakes because that would have been my first, you know, live intact rattlesnake. And they, they did prove out to be just a couple months later, but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sweet on them. I just think they're neat. In addition to being good research subjects, they're neat. They are. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Everybody else has covered a lot of ground. Well, thank you so much. And and could you hand it over to Max? Uh, and uh, we're going to get his impressions. Uh, uh, so you, you you get the flow of what we're talking about here. What do yeah. you have to say for yourself, Max? Um, this is our, our buddy, Max Sanchez. Max Maximiliano. <laughs> Monroy Sanchez. Okay. Good. Thank you. <laughs> that uh I just want to say that I'm really surprised about uh how much these guys know about the the rattlesnakes and uh that I don't know that much about about them live uh given that I I live in in Mexico, right? And it's supposed to be like a uh if you're an uh an herpetologist in Mexico, people ex- expect you to to know about cradleus uh, or or rattlesnakes, but yeah, these guys uh, have way f- far more information than me about about them. I I mean I I know some details and some some I have some information about them, but I don't actually work with them, and I would love to because hearing these guys' stories, it's like. Wow, I I wanna I wanna see all that 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 they already have have seen. So, it's pretty cool, and yeah, uh, uh, returning to the to the myths and uh, and all the stories that are around these these particular snakes. Here in Mexico, they they used to be respected, and uh, at uh, at some kind at at some point. Uh, they were like gods for them. The snakes give them so much. They they were they were uh, carriers of wisdom of of everything. The the snakes used to be super respect respect them. They they used to respect them a lot because they they would give everything to them. And now in in this in these early years, 
that tradition and that information has diminished with the years and with the growing city. So it's kind of sad uh, if you if you go to some localities and start talking with the locals. They they'll tell you yeah some of some of stories, but the great part of the of those stories will be would be uh, bad stories like the snakes are are carriers of of diseases they they are friends of the devil or stuff like that i mean and it's uh it's pretty it's pretty tough uh hearing that stories here in mexico well i i just want to tell you we have the same problem in in uh yeah. estados unidos yeah as well uh with people with all kinds of nutty stories about um giving rattlesnakes evil powers they don't actually possess yeah, exactly. And, exactly oh my gosh we've heard it all and like you when you talk to landowners we 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 hear these stories and we try to be polite and listen yeah. to them and we're <laughs> thinking man you guys are just full of crap <laughs> but uh we try to be polite and you know but lots of misinformation out there yeah it's hard it's hard to t to think that uh, at some point they they were uh, everything to to the locals and now they are just uh, like a pest or something they just kill them and kill them and what they don't realize is that those those snakes actually helps them to 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 sustain their their crops and get get rid of the of the plagues of of mice or some rodents so right and it makes me think of um like that on the yucatan we spend time down there and uh the uh rattlesnakes down there the way they plant corn down there yeah. uh in a very uh it's sort of they don't use rows they don't have like traditional corn like you think in the united states with all these verdant hill or yeah. rolling hills of corn and rows it's you plant corn in little pockets where there's dirt and and then and so i i can see where you know the rattlesnake is that's where they they are because that's where the rodents are yeah so they're protecting the corn so you, yeah you can start to see you know that you know, they would develop these, I don't want to call them folk folklore ideas, but these ideas that the, the snake is maybe not on their side, but the snake is, you know, a relevant part of their life and helps to keep, you know, keeps their corn going. Yeah, yeah. It The snakes uh, share the, their land and their territory with the with those people and they still uh, kill them, even though they, they are actually good for the crops and, and stuff. So it's uh, it's tough. Yeah, it's sad. Do you have a favorite rattlesnake? Or? Uh, I guess that uh, the Molossus uh, stole my my heart in this trip. It was a really cool snake that I haven't seen, so it was pretty awesome seeing seeing it. This is the Crotalus Molossus yeah, uh, Oaxacus. Oaxacus, yeah. And we call that the Oaxaca uh, blacktail. Is that the right word name, uh, common name? Yeah, sounds right. Sounds yeah. good to me. We just made it. <laughs> Oaxaca blacktail. Yeah, also the Salvini. I mean, uh, green is my favorite. It's my favorite color. So seeing the the that that greenish eye and well, not greenish actually. It was all all the way green. It was something else. It was really cool. Yeah, I think everybody in this room would yeah. agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Max. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. So I, you know, I don't know where we leave this. Um, one of the things that, you know, you wake up in the morning and Crotalus pops in your head and you think about, you think about them. Uh, uh, just a month or maybe a month and a half ago, I was traveling with Tim 
and uh, John here. We were out in uh, California. We we uh, visited the Carrizo Plain and uh, hung out with uh, some herpetologists there, uh, and uh, we witnessed a predation event. We got to see a uh, rattlesnake that had envenomated a um, a giant kangaroo rat the night before, and had found it that morning in a wash. Was in the process of swallowing it, which is cool enough as it is, and you know. That's the kind of thing where if you hang back and look, you can see, sometimes you can see really cool things happening, right? But what really struck me about that is it's always handy to have herpetologists around. And, and uh, uh, Dr. M- Emily Taylor was there and, and she was talking about, you know, how many calories are, are in this, this giant kangaroo rat. And it's not many, it's, it's some hundreds of calories, but that snake may only get mate one meal. It, it may only eat one giant kangaroo rat that year if it's lucky it might get a couple more meals but that may be all it it subsists on but it doesn't just survive on that it thrives on that it mates it produces young uh or produces sperm whatever it it, it's using every single shred of calorie it gets from that animal uh to thrive which that's just another element of rattlesnakes that i think about all the time now is they're not just you know fanged messengers of doom or whatever you know yeah anybody else have any further thoughts on this this ties into what uh, tim said about culture and what max was just saying go ahead brian so when i talked to you the first time i think it was in your your second episode i talked a lot about um, rattlesnakes and culture and how to, you know, my, my thoughts about educating people and stopping that kind of persecution and some things have happened since then that are, are interesting. So the thing that I had always thought was that rattlesnakes and people that kill them, um, how that's a, a big, important part of culture. It's part of our identity. You know, it's just cause we're, you know, it, it may have been rooted in something to where a couple of generations ago, that was something that was a real big, dangerous thing. But by now it's, it's, it's not so much. And when people kill them, you know, my perspective on it was that it has a lot more to do with their, their personal identity and how they wish to portray themselves to others. And that's a vehicle for that than it does about their education level. So, uh, a couple months ago, um, I, uh, after a project where I had the pleasure of working with Arizona state university and, uh, we, we published in uh, global ecology and conservation, uh, a massive data set, uh, evaluating the, uh, attitudes of people towards snakes across, uh, my, my working area, uh, which is all, all of Arizona essentially. Um, and one of the really interesting things that came out of that is that no matter what your experience level and knowledge with rattlesnakes is, meaning if you are, uh, you live out in the sticks and you've had two dogs killed by a rattlesnake and you see them all the time and you're terrified of them, or you live in the middle of the city and it's just a, it's just an idea to you. Your attitude does not meaningfully change. So it is not a suspicion that culture plays a part in that. It is culture is the, uh, the way that people go towards rattlesnakes. So, you know, it might seem like a big bummer, and it is to me when I see people that kill snakes and they post it on social media. But I'm looking at it more like every time you see that, that's an opportunity, that's a node to have an emotional conversation, however you need to. And I guess my, you know, my my soapboxy part of that is, um, if you are somebody that wants to see that stop, and you engage on that conversation a lot, and you're 
your tactic still sounds or smells something like rattlesnakes are an important part of the ecosystem. Stop it and realize you're talking to a person. You know, you're talking to a person and you need to, you have to look at what they're getting out of this and killing the snake and posting pictures of it has nothing to do with the snake and teaching them more about snakes is not going to stop that behavior in any way. So do with that what you will. But I, I got a lot out of that, um, that, uh, affirmation of that hunch that I'm, I'm certainly working into all, all my work. Right. Do you have a recommendation for that conversation? Um, look at it. Uh, like you would, so there, there's a, there's a playbook here that exists and it's probably the, the largest and most well-funded scientific study essentially that's ever happened. That's marketing. There are tons of marketing playbooks available on how to, you have a person, they think this, you want to use information in a way to solicit a specific reaction to make them feel and different and behave differently. So if you have somebody that feels, you know, and you, everybody that does this is going to know their, their community best. If you feel that somebody is killing snakes because it helps them identify with uh, or gain social benefit from one, you know, in, in one way by doing that, try to flip that to where that little community has more benefit for doing the other thing. And the thing that, um, that has worked best for me is to try to, to work with that and some some momentum. Don't be the person in, you know, if you have a little Facebook group that you do this in, don't be the person that is always getting in there and arguing, um, for this. Don't let that happen because then you're easily ignored. Look for other people that you think are on the, the, that are flippable and get them working and let them argue it. And then you hang back. And if you do that, you create a momentum. It's only about 20%. If you do it fast enough, it's about 20% of people um, need to change fast enough to where you can change the the social carrot to where the benefit is primarily on a new behavior than the old one. So none of that has anything to do with snakes. You don't have to talk to people about snakes or educate. So it is important. It's not that I don't like educating people about snakes, but that's not going to do the trick. You know, it's the kind of idea that a general better education about snakes. It's, it's a longer, harder road. The shortcut is in the, the tried and proven methods of, of public relations and marketing, you know, happens every day. Every time you see a billboard, someone's manipulating you. Boy, howdy. <laughs> That's the understatement of the year. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. And, and it's not easy, No, but somehow you're never going to get that person over by throwing facts at them. You're not. Because and facts bounce off people. They didn't kill the snake. They might know a lot about snakes, but they killed it because they composed it somewhere and they're going to get a lot of likes for it. And maybe, um, you know, here's, here's an example of how, you know, people, even if they hate snakes, they still like how they are in their identity. Right. <laughs> Uh, I don't like tomatoes. I don't seek out the Facebook group tomato lovers and post, I don't like tomatoes on everything I see, right? <laughs> you post a picture of a rattlesnake, a portion of the comments are people just chiming in to affirm their identity as people that don't like snakes. Part of their community, part of how they grew up, they're identifying with their grandparents, whatever it is. But even though they hate snakes, they are important to them culturally as an identity. And it's it's an interesting and and more useful way for me to look at it personally. But I, I hope if anybody that you know if you are sick of seeing snakes killed, um, rattlesnakes are kind of our our charismatic megafauna. You know they're on the front line of that, and they take the brunt for that. But it also gives uh, us an opportunity every time that happens to to work on that. Yeah, and i I wish we had I wish we had a playbook 
you know, like a cheat sheet where you could yeah. sort of was scripted with people about how, you know, to, to sort of get them from killing every snake to becoming a bigger person or having a, you know, getting Facebook likes for saving snakes for, um, for not killing them for, um, so, and I, you know, sometimes you see this, you see people flip their behavior and and they become vocal about their flipped behavior mm-hmm. so that they can get approbation about having changed their behavior. Um, but and there is a playbook for that. Yeah, but Many, it's, it's just good. It's it's getting it. It's the flip. Yeah, that's the trick. So that process of how to do that specifically in different sizes of communities is heavily researched and documented in every type of social change and political. You know, action. If you just if you take out the thing that we're looking at snakes and you look at it, we're trying to manipulate and change people's behavior. I don't care if they like snakes. I want them to stop killing all of them. If you kind of you know, it's 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 self serving to think that I need to make this person love snakes. I don't care. I want them to stop killing every snake they see, right. and it makes it a much easier task. And the playbook is out there. You can you know when when you're done listening to this, or if you're listening to it in a computer search for, you know, social change, uh, marketing plan. You'll, you'll see a, a, a variety of things that are out there that are well-documented and researched. They just have not been applied to this topic. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to think about that some more. It's another element about rattlesnakes that we, yeah. we have to think about. Um, and we all know, and we all should know by this point in time that the, the folks that, you know, they'll say, well, you know, it's a poisonous snake. And then somebody will jump on them immediately and say, in a very pedantic mm-hmm. fashion because they are, they have a kernel of knowledge themselves and they say, well, it's, it's not poisonous. It's <laughs> venomous, yeah. uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so that just sort of, you know, digs their heels in another six inches uh, because nobody likes to be made a fool of. Yeah. Uh, and so, <clears throat> you know, that, that stuff doesn't work at all either. No. You can't, you can't fact people to change their minds. It's just not going to work. Yeah. And they can sit there and watch, a Nat Geo documentary on rattlesnakes and still kill them. Yeah. Yeah. We've tried that. It doesn't work. Yeah. Obviously. No. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing that way for a while, you know, maybe try something new, something that's done, been done with other things to great success. You know? Okay. Hmm. My next goal is to learn how to manipulate people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like Brian said, teaching them about how rattlesnakes are an important part of the ecosystem that doesn't work because most human beings are not part of the ecosystem anymore. True. Yeah. Who cares? If you live in the city, who cares that rattlesnakes keep rodents yeah. down for farmers? Yeah, yeah it's a, a far away idea. might care. That might be an important thing to tell them. Like, hey, the black rat snake is not the only one eating rodents on your farm. The rattlesnake does this. But most people don't care. They are too detached. Their ecosystem is Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. So Brian's on to it, but we have to try new things. Well said, Andy. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. And some people, have, you know, the ecosystem is something out beyond the city limits. Right. Well, anybody else have anything to add to this conversation? I have called you all together. You all flew, flew into Mexico City just to have this conversation. So, well, thanks uh, to everyone for participating in and in, uh, in the conversation. I hope uh, our our listeners enjoyed this, and and uh, maybe some folks out there will spend more time thinking about rattlesnakes. I know. I'm looking around this room here. I know you all 
you wake up in the morning, some, there's mornings where you wake up and you go, Crotalus, what's up with that? I know you do, because I do. I think about them, and I think, I wonder what they're up to, and why they do the things they do, and you know, we don't we don't have cobras over here on in the Western Hemisphere, so I guess Crotalus is our our iconic uh, serpentine form that. Uh, Dear Florida, ten years. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my gosh! No, please, no cobras in Florida. That would be bad. Okay, thanks again, folks. I appreciate all of your time, and uh, we now return you to your <clears throat> last day of relaxation before we all fly home, except for Max, who's going to drive home. So, thanks again, folks. Well, that's all for episode 49. Hope you enjoyed our discussion, and I want to thank Mac, Andy, John, Brian, Tim, Armin, Andrew, Pat, and Max for pulling themselves up on one elbow and joining in on the discussion. So much appreciated, fellas. Thanks once again to all the show's patrons for your support, and if you would like to kick in a few bucks, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle, and so much pingle is all one word, and you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details on that. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so much And you can also join the so much pingle Facebook group uh, to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. And uh, last but not least, you can reach me directly via email at so much at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. 